Good morning to each of you. Earlier you heard from Richard Moskis, our pastoral assistants, mission directors, and one of the elders. I'm Mark Schofield, one of the elders at the fellowship. So if you're new to the fellowship, you get the opportunity while our pastor is away to meet several others. But our pattern is the same this morning. We want to take the opportunity to look into God's word and be encouraged by it to be challenged by it, and to learn from it. So, glad you're here. It really is a privilege to uh, spend time with you as we look through Scripture. What we're looking at today is what I've titled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And when I was teaching the Gospel of John last uh, year as a Bible study, I came across chapter 11, which should be a very familiar one to most of you, and that is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. An extraordinary miracle. And you think, yeah, no, I get chapter 11. I remember that. But there's a story within the story about Jesus' friendship with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus that I want to tell today. Because it was such an encouraging encouragement when I discovered, and I hope for each of us we understand what a friend we have in Jesus. Now, I thought a good way to look into friendship was to say, well, you know, if I do a web search, what do I find on the benefits of friendship? And I came across something from the Mayo Clinic based in Rochester, Minnesota. And first of all, it states something that I think we can all relate to and understand, especially two years into this pandemic. So they start out by saying loneliness and social isolation can affect mental and physical well-being. And more and more people are feeling lonely these days. These days. Now, I assume this was written more lately because if it was written before the pandemic, multiply what they say. And then it gets into the benefits of of friendship, which was I was sort of interested in. What perspective would you see there? Uh, And it gives these five benefits of friendship. One was, of course, less loneliness and social isolation. A second one was reduced stress. Third, emotional support during trying times. A fourth was a sense of belonging. And the fifth was support through the challenges we faced. And I thought those were really good benefits of friendship. And I am fortunate. I've got friends that help me in each of those areas. And as I thought of Jesus and our goal this morning to look at chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, I think we'll see this, and I hope you see a lot more from our friend Jesus. Because we find much about that relationship with Jesus, uh, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So we are going to be, have your thumb in the chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have your thumb there or your smartphone open and ready to go there. I do want to read the first three verses in there and then just going to give an overview of what's happening throughout the whole chapter. I mean, this is the chapter about Jesus doing an incredible miracle. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, on the Lord's feet, and wiped them with her hair. 
Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. Or some of your translations will say, the one you love is sick. Now, as we look at the bigger picture, let's go to the end of the story. And all of you who grew up, if any of you grew up in the church, at some point you remember this mummy coming out of the tomb. Because when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he chooses not to remove his, you know, miraculously remove all his wrappings, his burial wrappings. He comes out as a a mummy. So it's quite a dramatic uh, and amazing sight when he comes out of the tomb. So that is the end game in this chapter 11. But there's two important points that I think are important to put our story of friendship in perspective and understand and be fair to this chapter. And a second point is that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And the way it worked out is when Mary and Martha sent the messenger to Jesus, that messenger had to travel for a day. And we learn from this scripture that Lazarus died shortly after the messenger left. So then Jesus, if he were to immediately return, it would have taken him another day to get back. But he chose to spend two more days where he was before returning to Bethany. So four days had passed before this miraculous raising from the dead. You know, it's sort of a shout out that, you know, Jesus wanted to make sure we fully understood the power that was being demonstrated here. And then there's a second point that comes in the first chap- first few verses of chapter 11, and that is that it was dangerous for Jesus to go back to help his friends. He had just left Jerusalem because of the dangers there. In fact, as he's telling his disciples that they were going to go back to Bethany, which is next door to Jerusalem, they said, no, they want to stone you. But Jesus knew now was the time for him to go back because shortly after this miracle is when Jesus himself would go to the cross, would be executed on that cross. But then he too would show power over death being raised. So it's important to kind of understand that's the context of chapter 11 and the raising of the dead. I mean, he truly was dead four days. And Jesus went back to the dangerous place because that was where in God's timing he needed to be for him to go to the cross also. Um, So that's the understanding as we go into it. But I don't want to leave the big picture of this important chapter without pointing out there are really five significant things that come out of God's decision to use Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. And these aren't in order of importance because I think they're all very important and they all glorify God. But the first one is that it was to glorify Jesus. The purpose in raising Lazarus from the dead was to glorify Jesus and demonstrate God's power over death. And we read in verse 4, Uh, of chapter 11. This illness does not lead to death. He's explaining this to the disciples. Jesus already knows that Lazarus has died, but he's telling, and he's letting the disciples, they're still a day away, that it would not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that is the miracle will glorify Jesus himself. A second point, it was the final demonstration of the power to the disciple, of Jesus' power to the disciples. You have to understand at this point, the disciples fully understand that Jesus was going to the cross. They hated the idea. 
They didn't want to lose him. He was really an inspiration to them. And Jesus was doing his best to prepare them to take on the work of the church. But it scared the heck out of them. And so this last miracle was meant to encourage them. We read in verse 14 in chapter 11, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, he's speaking to them, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now he's not dissing Lazarus, Mary, or when he says, I'm glad we were not there. He wants them to see the power of him raising Lazarus from the tomb to help encourage them because this very same thing is going to happen to him. He's going to go to the cross and he wants to encourage them because they do have to take over once he's resurrected and goes back to heaven. Another point is it was to draw more people into the kingdom of God, which was typical of the miracles that Jesus did. He did it to draw more people. In verse 45, after Lazarus has been raised, we read that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he had done, there could be over 100 people in and around the tomb, people that were supporting Mary and Martha as they were mourning for Lazarus. This large group would have seen this happen. And scripture says in verse 45 uh, that many, um, when he did... Uh, that is raised Jesus from the dead, believed in him. They believed in him. A fourth point it was to set the stage for the Jerusalem, Jerusalem arrest and crucifixion. We read in verse 8 that they're saying don't go. We read in verse 53 at the end of the chapter. So from that day on, they, referring to the Jewish officials, made plans to put Jesus to death. But don't be fooled, right? It's God's plan and Jesus' willingness to go to the cross. It's not their decision to put him to death because Jesus returns. But again, that's one of the points of raising Lazarus from the dead. It gets Jesus back to Jerusalem in God's timing. So we could preach and talk about all of those because they're so phenomenal. And the fact he raised Lazarus from the dead is such an amazing thing. But there's a fifth thing in there that really jumped out when I went through chapter 11 when we were doing that Bible study through the the book of John. And that was that it demonstrates his love for his close friends. In verse 3, we'd already read, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I use the you love version in this one. The one you love is ill. In verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. It's this important reason that we want to dive into the central part of this story to understand the great love that Jesus had for Martha, Mary, Lazarus, and the great love that he has for us. But first, we've got to set something really, really clear. And that is there is nothing that we can do to earn Jesus' friendship Because we don't need to. Whether we have committed to friendship with Jesus or not, he is our forever friend. And when we look at scripture, it shouts out. We understand that it's because he loves us and wants to be friends with us. It's not because we've done something like have been good to earn his favor or something like that. No, it's his action. We read in uh, Mark chapter 2, 
verses 15 through 17. Don't go back there, but you might jot it down. This is, we covered this, Pastor Zach covered it several weeks ago when we saw that Jesus was calling disciples and he called the disciple Matthew, also called Levi. And Levi was a tax collector. Not a loved person during those days. And Zach had built up our understanding how, you know, the tax collector was not a popular figure. So Jesus calls Matthew to become a disciple. So the first thing Matthew does is invite Jesus, disciples, and all his friends, who guess what, are tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners, to dinner at his house. And here's the scene. As he, referring to Matthew, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him, followed Jesus, that is. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can you even hear the disdain in their voices? When they ask that question, why would he eat with them? They're not righteous like we are. There was disdain for the quote-unquote tax collectors and, and sinners. We continue to read Jesus with his supernatural hearing. says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And in Matthew, we also read that one of the things Jesus was accused of, I love this, he was accused of being a friend of sinners. And that's the Jesus who's a friend to us, whether we respond or not. One more point as we reinforce that Jesus first loved us and was a friend to us is in Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. Again, don't go there, I'll read it for you, but... In Romans 5, 6 through 8, we read, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we now move into the scripture that we want to study Please do it with the understanding that we don't earn Jesus' friendship. Because he did first loved us and will always love us no matter what our response will be to him. So if you're following along and taking notes, here's your first opportunity to jot a note down, fill in a blank. Because of our friendship with Jesus, we can freely share our hearts. And we're going to be starting with verse 17 in in John to understand this point. But I want to, again, continue to set the scene and understand that this is a scene of real mourning. Martha and Mary had lost their brother. Many friends had come alongside and were mourning with them. And the Jewish people at that time did mourning really, really well. I mean, there was wailing and ripping of clothing and ashes and dirt and their emotions were on their sleeves, shirt sleeves, if they will, if they weren't ripping them. So it was a scene of, of not despair but, but real sadness because of the loss of a loved friend for others there, 
for a loved brother by Mary and for, for Martha. So given that setting, we find Jesus arriving in Bethany. His days traveled there. So in verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now I can imagine that in Martha's case, we've got to know, how do you know Martha in the past, right? I imagine the first thing you thought of Martha was the Martha that was busy serving Jesus when Jesus visited their house And uh, Mary was the one sitting at uh, Jesus' feet learning from him. And so if that's what came to your mind, you probably then also remembered that Jesus challenged Martha to spend some time at his feet and that uh, she needed a life that was more in balance. This is my paraphrase, phrase, of course. So, again, when we often think of uh, Martha, we think of somebody in charge, in control. And in fact, Jesus had to challenge that the last time they were together that we looked at in Scripture. So here we have that same person that's in control and sort of on top of things. She had no problem getting up out of the house when she knew that Jesus was uh, coming. She wanted to meet him on the road. And she wanted to confront him immediately. Picture Mary, on the other hand, we'll get into Mary in a bit, but I just can tell you that Scripture seems to indicate she was a hot mess at this time. (laughs) You know, she she could leave the house. And so we do get to see two different people, right, with different personalities, one that was taking charge, heading out to meet Jesus, the other crumpled up and, you know, hard to get out of bed, let alone the house because of her sadness for, for losing her brother. Um, so here's what Martha says in verse um, 21 when we, when we get to it. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ooh, she kind of hits him right between the eyes, doesn't she? Lord, if you had not been here. But if we put ourselves in her place, she's in grief. And she's stating a fact. She actually had the trust in Jesus that he could have healed Lazarus if he'd gotten there in time. There was no question in her mind because her next words from her were, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So she actually said that. She was very direct with Jesus. Said it with confidence because she knew that Jesus was in charge and held the end game. I don't think for a moment that she thought that Jesus would come now and raise Lazarus from the dead. But I do believe that Martha was fully confident that now that Jesus was there, after she got it off her chest, that he missed the opportunity, that she knew he was in charge. And I believe that's a characteristic of any friendship, and certainly a characteristic of friendship with Jesus, is that we can share our heart with that kind of friend And you notice Jesus doesn't, we're going to read further on, he doesn't chastise her for challenging him. I can imagine the empathy empathy and the sympathy as he understood what pain his friend Martha was feeling for the loss of her brother. And he knew Martha well enough to know that she was a straight shooter. And out it came. 
If only you'd been here, he would have lived. But what a friend we have in Jesus that he listens to us in our despair, even when we don't do a great job of expressing our grief to him or our frustration or our joy for that matter, or we forget to express our joy. Our friend Jesus has wide, godly shoulders to listen to us. Let's take just a moment to look at Mary's response in verse 32 in the chapter we're looking at. Mary does go to see Jesus. So now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. I'm guessing it was partly in reverence for him. She loved Jesus. And partly just again, now she's emotionally drained. And so she falls on his feet and says probably in a very different way the same thing that Martha said. She says, Lord, if you had been here with my brother You had been here, my brother would not have died. So both of them in their very different ways, in their pain, said the same thing to Jesus. And Jesus, with his wide, friendly shoulders, understood their pain. We can share anything with Jesus. Now, I hope you weren't worried last week. Remember last week, Pastor Zach looked at a a passage of Scripture that talked about the unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, And I can assure you that no matter what you say to Jesus, whether it's in deep pain and you're crumpled at his feet, or if the only way you know how to say it is in boldness and you shoot it, you know, say it right, you know, the shot between the eyes with Jesus, and you say, if only you'd been here. Because in both cases, it's new that he could have saved Lazarus. And there's a continued confidence that they could. When Jesus challenged the Pharisees or leaders of the Jews early with the thought that they might be uh, performing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it was because they were saying that Jesus did his miracles, what? By the power of Satan, not the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus challenged them on that. We need never feel that challenge when we go to Jesus with our heartfelt pain or needs for him. What a friend we have in Jesus. We can share anything with him. We can freely share our hearts. Um, I'll be honest with you. I've learned so much from many of you in our congregation, you know, over the years. Uh, At any given time, right, the chance that someone has lost a loved one or that they're facing cancer or some other calamity in their life, the loss of a job and the ability to help support their family, I tell you, as an elder in this church, I have been more encouraged by you when you've come to me to encourage you because of your faith that God is in charge, that Jesus has your back, and that you trust in Jesus for the final outcome and what he's going to do. That's our friend that we have in Jesus. Let's conclude this one thought with a verse out of Hebrews Hebrews 4, chapter 16. I love this one. It makes it abundantly clear that Jesus wants us to lean on him as a friend. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And he will respond. Now the second point is a big one, you know. Hang in there with me. Point number two, if you want to jot it down, is that Jesus is 
the open book. Circle the or underline the if we were. He is the open book. Now, have any of you used that term like that? I mean, I'm familiar with the term. I kind of like it. There's a very few people in my whole life that I've run into that I recall an open book. And in describing someone as an open book, is there's a transparency about them, a truthfulness about them, an honesty about them, the recognition that this person's not trying to hide anything or hold back anything from you. And as you interact with them, you're getting all of them. Full transparency. I looked in the dictionary because I was a little worried. Maybe I just think of this thought of someone being an open book, or in this case, suggesting that Jesus, our friend, is the open book. I looked in the dictionary and found no matter which version you did, it sort of sounded like what I was thinking. The Colin says, it's a person's life or character that you can find out everything about because nothing is kept secret. So we're going to learn as we look through the next few verses that Jesus truly is the open book. And I want to bring you back just for a moment to the opening of the Gospel of John. And these words will sound very, very familiar to you. I know they will. The Gospel of John starts out with, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word being Jesus. You know, from the beginning, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed together. Our triune God. And Jesus was called the Word. So in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus is the Word. He is the open book that reveals God to each of us. Some of you may be more comfortable with the term God incarnate. Have you really thought about what that means? It means God in the flesh. Jesus was God incarnate. So when the word came to earth, we get a glimpse, we get a better understanding of who God is. And if we put it within the theme that we're talking about of what a friend we have in Jesus, it's rather amazing that God incarnate is who we have as our friend. He is that open book. The only thing he wants from us is that we fully understand who God is through someone we can relate to, Jesus in the flesh. So let's continue in the verses we looked at. We're at verse 23. Jesus said to her, referring Jesus was talking to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha's an intellect. Martha understood Jewish thought at that time. She is one impressive woman. We really don't give her enough credit if the only thing we ever think of Martha is she was the one that Martha had, that Jesus had to correct because she was too busy serving instead of having that balance of sitting at Jesus' feet and understanding some. So as Jesus says G, um, Lazarus will rise, in her understanding of the Jewish thought of resurrection, many thought that when the Messiah came, everyone would be resurrected to the actual body that they left, whether it was 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, or 6,000 years ago. 
That was a belief, not by all Jews, but certainly Mary, that was her understanding. It was an incorrect understanding. It was an incomplete understanding. But nonetheless, as she tried to process her grief and the loss of her brother, she shared that with Jesus. And he worked with that. Because he is the word come to earth. He is the open book. And he says back to her, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And then he corrects it. He says, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. It's not about being resurrected after you live, but you will live eternally if you believe in me. So he's introducing to Mary a whole different concept of what the resurrection is, and it's beneficial and important for us to fully understand that when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, that it is he that brings new life to us. And in fact, he talks about new life in when he, he's describing to him, and he's foreshadowing what's going to happen in weeks or a month. It's not far at all away where he does go to the cross for us and shows power over death. He's resurrected to new life. But for Martha, at this point, he's trying to help her understand and process the death of her brother by sharing this great theological truth that, Martha, you're standing in front of the resurrection and the one who brings life. So it keeps getting better, though, and my respect for Martha keeps growing and growing uh, as we continue through these uh, verses because the third point, our third point, is that Jesus cares enough to ask the hard question. Now, you're probably just as aware as I am that as, as Westerners and as, as we get more and more civilized, we're less and less willing to challenge each other. We're less and less willing to ask each other hard questions we see a brother or sister, literally a brother or sister, or a brother and sister in Christ going down a path that's not a good path for them, and we hold back, well, you know, I don't want to affront or confront them. As people talk to us about truth more and more, we're less willing to talk about that there is truth. Oh, no, everyone has their own truth. And one of the benefits of our friendship with Jesus is that he loves us enough. That friendship is so deep that he's willing to confront us when appropriate. And in this case, he's confronting Jesus about her belief in whether or not he is the resurrection or the life. So Jesus, again, says to her, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me, everyone, will never die again. And then the hard question, do you believe this, Mary? Do you believe this, Martha? He says it to Mary, too. Do you believe this, Martha? And then this just keeps getting better because here's her uh, re response. She says, yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you. And we can assume from the moment she met him and he came into her life that she got it. Um, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. So Jesus asked her the hard question, 
And she confirms that she's all in with him, understanding that she is her salvation. She is her life. He is the resurrected. He helped take her from one point to the other because he is the open book, the one who can help us to understand. And so if we're looking at other books or other sources, they'll never be as good as God's open book. God coming to earth incarnate as a man in the form of Jesus. And so when we look at all of God's word, I mean, we're learning from Jesus when we we look at that. And that should be our source of challenge. And whether it's lifestyle issues or actions or how we love one another, our friend Jesus is willing to challenge us in each of those ways as we're open to what we see in his scripture and we're open to him as we talk to him in prayer. So we see a Jesus that first loved us. A Jesus is open to our heartfelt questions. We can share our heart with Jesus. We're extraordinarily fortunate as, as people of Jesus that we have access to the open book, the word of God, Jesus himself. And now we find that we enjoy the privilege and sometimes the challenge of God's willingness to use Jesus to challenge us and to ask us the hard questions. Maybe ask us the hard questions a lot. So as we pull this together, you see there's one more point that we want to talk about, and that's the question I put on your outlines, and that's what brings Jesus to tears? So we go back to the scripture we're looking at. I'm in verses 32 and 33. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, and I know I'm repeating this, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Now, you thought I was going to talk about what caused Jesus to weep, but first came that anger. And what was the anger about? He was angered that because he and God, this triune God, created the earth. And what do we learn from Genesis? It was good. And because God loved us so much, was willing to let us choose our own way. We wanted to go our own way. And we said, God, we want to be like you. I mean, that's basically the story of the fall of man. And so because of sin... Really bad things have been introduced into our lives. Disease have been introduced in our, our lives because that original decision by mankind to go their own way. When we think of war and famine and all those things related to that, those all come from man's decision not to want to continue to be friends with God back long ago. So what causes Jesus to get anger? He was angry that he was even seeing this. He was anger that, that because of man's decision, Lazarus had died an untimely death, that Lazarus was in that grave. It made him anger. And then what causes him to weep? As he looked out at these people he lo- loved, not just Martha and Mary, but perhaps that hundred people around there that were in tears and in mourning, He felt great empathy for him. And at this point, we read in verse 34, 
He first asked, where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, he says, then Jesus wept. Before he could move to the tomb to call Lazarus out, he became tearful as he thought about the pain that Martha and Mary were suffering and the others. And we can be assured that when we are afflicted by things that are not under our control, Jesus gets anger that bad things happen to us because of man's original decision. And we can be assured that when we're going through tough things, that our friend Jesus weeps for us because it hurts him to see his creation being hurt by the effects and and the ravages of sin. I want to assure you that Vladimir Putin's 17-year accrual of more wealth than almost anyone in the world at the expense of the Russian people makes Jesus angry. And I can assure you, and I hope you feel the same way, that Jesus weeps for the Russian people who've been under control of Vladimir Putin for all those years as he's accumulated his wealth. And as missiles rain down on hospitals and homes in the Ukraine, Imagine Jesus' anger at that and how he weeps for every child that has died, every mom or dad that has died, every in-law that has died as those missiles rain down. And as I think of the synthetic drug, um, um, (laughs) I'm losing it, Um, opiate, fentanyl, As I think of this cruel drug that's inexpensive and cheap to make, there's probably not a person in here who doesn't know someone who's been affected by that drug, that they've lost a niece or a nephew or a mother or or a father. And can you imagine Jesus' anger at the readily available drug that kills people and takes over their lives? And I want you to imagine Jesus weeping for each of the mom and dads that lose a child, or each grandparent that lose a grandchild, he weeps for those loss. He gets angry for each of those deaths and, and weeps for those loss. If we think of Af- Afghanistan, you know, one thing I'm sensitive to is, is how many, the oppression of, of women in Afghanistan. God gets angry as women have been prevented from going to their jobs or continuing their education. And he weeps for the effects on them. That is the God that we know. Uh, And Jesus is the friend that we have that gets angry over the sin in the world and weeps for us because he loves us and cares us for much. So if you ever face the question, you know, why does God let bad things happen to people? I encourage you to turn it around. God is so sad. He's angry at the bad things that happen. And God is so empathetic. He weeps for those that it happened to. That is the friend 
that we have in Jesus. But we don't need to end on what feels like a bit of a downer. I mean, that's phenomenal when we think of what caused Jesus to weep. But where I'd like to end is the story, it doesn't come out in the story, surprisingly. At the end of the story, we find Lazarus coming out of the grave, and we don't know what happens next. Can we make a good assumption? Had to be a party. Jesus, who loved everyone around him, loved Mary, Martha, and now Lazarus is coming out of the tomb. Of course, they have to unwrap him. But there had to be a party. And there was a celebration at the amazing thing that Jesus had done for his friends. And I want to encourage you that this morning we started with a song called Death Was Arrested, that we were invited out of the tomb. Each of us were in the tomb of sin before we discovered the friendship of Jesus and his invitation and his declaration that he was the resurrection and the life. And so for each of us who know Jesus, we know him as friend and as we know him as savior. We're part of the party because we have been resurrected. We have been taken out of the tomb. So that is the thought that I leave you with. And if you're still exploring friendship with Jesus, I encourage you to go back to this chapter because there's a lot more in it, stuff that we couldn't cover. But I want to assure you that Jesus is not judging you. Jesus seeks friendship with you. You are under judgment. God is clear that because of our decision to go our own way, we are judged. But Jesus came to show the way out. And that was life through him by believing in him as this story shouted out. Would you stand? I'd like to do two things. One, close in prayer. And then a benediction that remembers Jesus and his care for us. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're grateful that we could spend time together this morning, work through your word. Father, I admit that it's sometimes hard to think of Jesus as my friend because I know he sits at your right, at your right hand side on my behalf. But Father, this reinforces how much Jesus loves us. And he loves us as friends. He came to earth as a man so he could relate to us and we could relate to him. Father, what an encouragement that is. Father, I pray for each of us here that we celebrate that we've been rescued from the tomb and that by believing and turning our hearts over to Jesus, we walk out of that tube, for some of us even running. We're grateful, Father. We're thankful. Father, as Jesus gets anger, angry over the sinful things that happen in the world and the pain it causes people, I pray we're sensitive to respond to that pain. And I think of our opportunity, Father, even now to respond to the refugee crisis in Ukraine. Melt our hearts like you've melted Jesus' hearts to, to turn to tears. I pray that we cry over the many refugees, the millions in the Ukraine. Make us like Jesus, Father. It is good, Father, being with you. We thank you for your love for us, a love so great that you sent your son for us. 
It's in his name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.